So we've been going through this series on what righteousness is, how you get it. And we talked about righteousness as like great leadership. Brandon talked about righteousness as being faithfulness. Today, we're going to talk about righteousness as being a winner. And of course, if you think about winner, you've got to think about the characters that always win. And of course, that is the superheroes. So, righteousness is like being like a superhero. So I'm going to talk about that concept a little bit. And then we're going to talk a little about one of the superheroes in the Bible. And then we're going to talk about how we can live life as a superhero. And in fact, that is what we're expected to do. Righteousness is like being a superhero. Perhaps the way I can introduce this best is to talk about one of many superhero plots. And that is a DC Comics formulation called the Justice League. The Justice League. Now, you might remember that the word daikasune is the word translated righteousness in Romans, which is a book about righteousness. Romans is a book that says, here's what righteousness is and here's how you get it. The just or the righteous that shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Same word. And so it goes through and tells us how to live righteously. That's what that book's about. So the Justice League, the Diakosune League, would be a league that's pursuing the same thing Paul tells us to do in Romans, the Justice League. Well, the Justice League was invented in February of 1962, and the plot is that some foreign invaders came to Earth, and there's various aliens that have come to Earth, and they're competing to see who will conquer Earth first and get to be the new rulers of Earth. And so the alien attacks draw the attentions of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, and something called Martian Manhunter, which is a new one to me, I have to say. Do you know all about Martian Manhunter? Okay. Is Martian Manhunter a human or a Martian? He's from Mars. Okay, all right. So we got one Martian in there. So these guys discover that only by working together could they thwart the competing alien invaders. All right, so, so the plot is you have these superpower, mainly humans, that learn that they need to work together in harmony to bring justice to the earth, righteousness to the earth, by overcoming evil that is brought to us by alien forces. Does any of that sound familiar? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. You know how you could translate that? We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against alien invaders. It's just that our battle is in the spiritual realm. Because our kingdom that we're protecting is not so much earth. Although it's certainly our battle happens on earth. Our kingdom is not of this world. It's the spiritual realm where our primary battle happens. So perhaps the better analogy is Star Wars or... Harry Potter or Narnia or the Magic Bicycle where there's, where there's, there's power that's being channeled into people to fight good and evil. And that, that might be a, a better analogy. But all these fantasy stories have the same plot. They all have the same plot. Some nerd, some reject, some underdog suddenly finds themselves with this vast power. And they can't really disclose who they are or it would be ruined. So they have to use this vast power incognito. And so they're living this tension in their life where they continue to be rejected by the world. And yet they are the ones 
holding the world together in righteousness and preventing alien invaders from taking it over. Sound familiar? So I'm going to talk a little about my favorite superhero. When I was a boy, he was my favorite, Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. Still love Spider-Man. I loved his comics when I was a kid. I loved the movies that they made. I liked the Saturday morning action cartoon. When when we got married, we'd get up on Saturday morning and I'd watch (laughs) Spider-Man. And then they did a Broadway play of Spider-Man. I saw it twice. I would have seen it five times if it wouldn't have gone broke. It was it was awesome. As mainly because I love the story so much. So here's the story. If you're not a Spider-Man, what's a, what's the word? What is it? Aficionado. Aficionado. So here's the story. Peter Parker is the reject. He is the he is the science nerd that all the athletes and the bullies pick on. He's the guy they search out to pick on in school. None of the girls want anything to do with Peter Parker. He's a reject and he's in the science lab doing some experiments because he's a nerd and a radioactive spider bites him and because of that he now has superpowers because he can do things a spider can do you know a spider can lift like a hundred times its own weight and it has all these senses where it can sense danger even though it can't see it all this sort of thing and it has the ability, you know, little things on its feet where it can climb walls. And so Spider-Man can climb walls. And, of course, he didn't get uh, spider webs automatically. So he, since he's an inventor, he invents these spider web things that he can sling around all over town. And so Spider-Man now has these great powers. And he sees a robbery. And he says, oh, not my problem. Not my problem. And that robber then ends up killing his uncle that he's living with. He's a... Or an orphan. So on top of being a reject, you know, he's kind of an orphan that lives with his aunt and uncle. And so he realizes, I could have stopped that. So he lives with this haunting memory that he could have done something and he didn't. And his aunt and uncle tell him with that one of their main things that they're inculcating into their nephew is, with great power comes great responsibility. So that's kind of the theme all the way through Spider-Man. With great responsibility, uh, sorry, with great power comes great responsibility. So Spider-Man decides, okay, I need to live life as a reject in the real world, and I'll embrace that. And what that'll do is that'll protect my identity of being a true superhero and fighting crime. Because I'm not going to see this happen again to anybody else. And of course his boss, he works for the newspaper, Jonas Salk is the editor, and he hates Spider-Man. So every story, he's trying to spin Spider-Man as the villain. Of course, Spider-Man's actually the hero. but he's a, So his press is that he's a villain. The people like him. The people like him because he's on their side. But the establishment hates him because he is usurping their power. Okay, so that's Spider-Man. And it resonates. It resonates because that's us. Second Timothy 3.12 And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And it, the verses before that say, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord delivered me. 
and yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So here's Paul fighting evil. He's about to be killed because he's fighting evil. And he's telling Timothy, the whole book of 2 Timothy is, don't become a coward because you see me dying. Use it as inspiration. And furthermore, he says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Because, you know, that's what evil does. It deceives. And that it is deceived. But you, Timothy, you keep the faith. Keep fighting. Why? Because you're a superhero. So, that's why we like these stories, these fantasy stories. And the latest one, I guess, is Harry Potter. And I'm not that big of a fan of Harry Potter. I, I know people that are, and they've told me all about it. So, the story of Harry Potter is he's a nerd, a reject, an underdog. And he discovers he has this vast power to be a wizard. So, he goes into this alternate universe where he is fighting evil. And sometimes he lives in the real world. And sometimes he's in this alternate world. And he discovers, like, he's the guy that can, that can uh, defeat the evil villain. It's kind of like the Lord of the Rings where the hobbits against Sauron, the, the uh, evil eye. So, it resonates with us because we all feel like underdogs. And we all feel like rejects. And the reason we feel that way is because we are. We're made lower than the angels. Uh, Satan is the ruler of this world. So and unlike the alien invaders who are coming trying to take over the world, we already have one that has taken over the world. It's our job to kick them out. That's what our job is. That's what winning looks like. We're going to kick Satan out of his spot. And the way we do that is by fighting against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So we're fighting this thing in the spiritual world. And in the physical world, the people who see us fighting that will not understand it. Because we're disguised to them. They will not understand it. And in fact, they will reject us. Like the newspaper editor that rejects Spider-Man. They reject it. They will blame us. They will blame us for the ills of the world. We're actually fighting and holding the world together is what we're actually doing. Salt. And when we do our job, what we're doing is being salt in the world. What does salt do? It keeps the carcass from rotting. And it doesn't take much, just a little. And so when we do our salt job, we're holding the world together. And in fact, what the world will do is say, no, you are causing those problems. Because we'll be rejected. If you want to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. So that's how the analogy works. So that's the first. Second point, uh, before we get to life as a superhero, the second point is to look at a superhero in the Bible and what one looks like. So we, there, we could choose from a lot of different places, but let's just look at the one who is usually identified by the Bible as the person that's the example when you're talking about walking by faith. And that's Abraham. Now, Abraham, interestingly enough, actually takes place before we have this superpower that's actually placed into us. So, we have the Holy Spirit. Which is stronger, the power Superman has or God? Or, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You can say, well, would you, which would you rather have inside of you, Superman or God? Yeah, well, God. Oh, well, we already have that, so that's not that big a deal. Well, actually it is. It's a really big deal. We have superpower. But the question is, are we going to use it? See, that was Spider-Man's dilemma to start with. Ah, not my problem. I'm not going to use my superpower here in this circumstance. I'll use it for something that benefits me. Oh, I discover it, it, everything benefits me when I benefit others. 
That's what I learned. Oh, okay, well, with great power comes great responsibility. My job is to benefit others. Well, that's, that's the life of a superhero. And so we're going to look at one that doesn't even have necessarily this superpower, not the same way we do anyway. And so the faith, the power of faith, is really the power that is necessary for the power of the Holy Spirit to do its job. And that power of faith has immense power in the first place. Before the Holy Spirit came, Jesus came. You know, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell later. And he said things like, Go, ma'am, your faith has made you well. So faith, it's the atomic spider. It's the thing that causes the power to happen in the first place. So let's look at Abraham. And you can see here, Abraham, this, we can kind of bring some of the other lessons in here because these are all just different ways to look at basically the same thing. Abraham was a great leader. Now, we talked about great leadership. Looks like taking responsibility, like Spider-Man. And it also looks like serving a great mission, something greater than yourself, like I'm going to disguise myself and, and serve this mission of combating evil in the world like Spider-Man does. You serve a great mission. And it also is communicating to others the way they need to be communicated with. And the first two are pretty easy to see with Abraham. I mean, his nephew basically said, I don't want to be under your shadow anymore, Lot. And so Abraham and his followers, so Abraham said, well, look, you've got this land over here. And you got this land over here. Which do you want? And this land over here looks like, like uh, East Texas. And this land over here looks like West Texas. Which one would you like? Lot says, duh, I'll take East Texas. It's green. And so Abraham says, no problem. I live in West Texas. I like West Texas. So Abraham goes to West Texas and Lot goes to East Texas. And then turns out a lot of other people like East Texas too. And so there were bad guys there. And they came and they marauded his, his town, took him hostage, kidnapped him. He left, right? That's the guy that left him. And Abraham says, oh, he's my nephew. I'll take responsibility for that. And we don't know what he said to his people, the followers of his. But what we do know is they armed themselves and, and started marching all night to go and, and fetch back Lot. And then they whipped them all. And then they came back and said, hey, we, we had this great victory, and that's when he does the tithe to Melchizedek. And the next chapter is the one that has the chapter in it that says, and Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. So God picked a courageous guy who would take responsibility, and he said, I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to give you this amazing promise. I want you to build a nation from your family that will restore the earth, the seed, the land, the seed, and the blessing. I want you to restore the earth to its proper place for all peoples through your family. That's your mission. I want you to take back the earth from Satan, the alien invader. That's your mission. And I just want you to believe it's true. And Abraham believed. And that is the verse that Romans tells us, and that was accounted to him for diakosune, for righteousness, in God's sight. Even though Abraham hadn't really done anything at that point. And then as the story unfolds, Abraham has some questions of God. And one of them is, hey, you know, you promised me that I was going to uh, have this great blessing I was going to do. I was going to be a great winner. And my family is going to be the one that restores the earth. But I don't have any kids. So how's that going to work? And God doesn't say, why are you asking me? Why are you doubting? God says, no, hey, you're going to have a son. He says, I'm old. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm an old man. Don't worry. I'm God. You're old, I'm God. So that we can make that work. <laughs> so Abraham says, okay. 
I believe it'll happen. And then Abraham and Sarah decide, you know, maybe God meant for us to do the concubine thing. So they have Ishmael. And, God, and Abraham says, ah, it worked. Amazing. I've got a son just like God said. So then there's this episode that happens. It's just really fascinating. Let's go to it. It's in Genesis chapter 18. Then the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre. This is plural, so there must have been a little oasis there of some kind. And so he's sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. The reason he's sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day is because Israel has the same climate as West Texas. It really is West Texas. It's West Texas in every respect, except they get some ocean dew, some dew from the ocean. And it rains, so it rains less than it does here. So, so he's sitting in the tent because it gets hot in the summer, right? And there's no air conditioning, so he's just sitting in the shade. So he lifted his eyes and looked, Abraham did, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree. I'll bring a morsel of bread that you can refresh your hearts. After that, you can pass by, and as much as you've come to your servant. Now, I mean, this is a little bit of a sideline, but it's obvious that Abraham doesn't have a lot of company, isn't it? The reason is because he lives in a place nobody wants to be. We can embrace that. So they said to him, Do as you said. So Abraham hurried to the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly! Make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. Now, this tent, I've been in one of these tents like this. If you go to Jordan, there's people still living like this. They have a Toyota truck and a cell phone, too. But they still live in the tent. And what they have is these giant goat hair tents with partitions. So one will be the kitchen, and one will be the bedroom. It's just a rug between you and the next room. So keep that in mind. Quick, make these cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender and good calf and gave it to a young man and hastened to prepare it. Obviously, if you're out in the middle of nowhere like this, there's plenty of time. So they're going to go butcher a calf, you know, hang up the calf, cut the calf up, cook the calf, three hours or something like that. And these guys are all sitting over there. But there's no place else to go. It's not like, never mind, we'll go down to McDonald's or something like that. I mean, you're out in the middle of nowhere. So... He gave it to the young man, he prepared it, and he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them while they ate. This is Eastern hospitality. And Abraham is a great host. And then they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, here in the tent. So she's in one of the other rooms, you know, behind the tent. But let me tell you, there's no soundproofing here. There's no insulation, but it's just a... It's just a blanket. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, Sarah was listening in the tent door, as any good wife would do, right? you got visitors. They have come from nowhere, and, is, and she's listening to see what's going on. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. Now, this is the most important part. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. The literal here is, she had ceased to have the manner of women. That means she'd gone through menopause. So Sarah has gone through menopause. And look, when it comes to reproductive stuff, people in the ancient world knew way more about that than we do. That was their livelihood, is to get stuff to breed. They knew all about menopause. So she's hearing this, and she's saying to herself, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself and says, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? So not only have I gone through menopause, i got a husband that's you know, really old. So is that going to happen? Now, let's go to Hebrews 11, and we'll see something that is not, not obvious here. 
in the Genesis passage. Hebrews 11.11 it says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. So Abraham, she, I mean, she laughed and said, well, how's this going to be? But obviously she said, okay, well, that must be the way it's going to be then. I'm going to have a baby. How in the world is that going to be? And uh, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? So, so he's kind of chided her for laughing, and she said, okay, well, I, I, I believe. And of course we know that happened, Isaac. And they see firsthand a resurrection because Sarah had her reproductive system resurrected. It was dead. They were as good as dead from a child-producing standpoint. She was revived. Life came back. So, fast forward a couple of decades or so, and God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to go sacrifice Isaac. Now, God had already promised that Isaac would be the one through whom this massive blessing would happen, where the whole world, the whole earth is going to be restored through Abraham's family. Everything, the alien invader is going to be defeated and everything's going to be put back into place. So Abraham decides, okay, if I sacrifice Isaac, then God's going to bring him back from the dead. I've already seen it once. So they go out and Abraham starts to go out to the sacrifice thing with, with Isaac and he tells his servants, says, wait here, we will return. And Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that there was going to be resurrection. That's what he had concluded. And we know the rest of the story that God said, hey, wait a minute, now that I know you will, don't. And here, use this ram instead. Kind of a substitutionary picture of what Jesus did for us. But that's it. That's it. So what Abraham did is he believed God, and the key thing he believed, kind of the core of what Abraham believed, was in resurrection power. That's how the whole story takes place. That's how the whole redemptive process begins. And, of course, from Isaac came Jacob, who was renamed Israel, who came the 12 tribes, one of whom is Judah, who ultimately has David, and David becomes the king. And then he's given the promise that someone from his line will sit on the throne of the earth forever. And, of course, we know Jesus came from David, and we are awaiting the time when that comes to physical fulfillment. We already know that because of what he did for us as a servant leader, he gave his life for us so that Satan has now been displaced, but the new inauguration has not taken place. So Satan is now a lame duck. And in that time, we're to be the transition team. And we're to do the work of the kingdom by living the spiritual life in the physical world. And that's how we bring righteousness in in the meanwhile. That's how we win. So, righteousness is like a superhero, because superheroes always win. Abraham is the biblical superhero because faith is the thing that ignites superhero-ness. Faith is the thing that causes the superpower to take place. So what about us? Well, we have the Holy Spirit in us the moment we believe. That's bigger than Superman. It's way bigger than that, the power that we have. But it doesn't do anything until we ignite it. And we ignite it with faith. Faith in what? Faith in resurrection. So, we have resurrected power. We have a resurrected nature. We have been crucified in Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. What is required in walking? We've got to do something, right? You've got to make a decision to take a step. So that's the way faith works. You know, faith without works is dead. We've got the faith, like as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If you have a body without a spirit, the body's still there. It just can't do anything. If you have faith without works, the faith is still there. It just can't do anything. 
So when we take action, it ignites the Holy Spirit to do superpower things. The problem is, the more superpower things we do, the more the world will hate us. Because if you desire to live life as a superhero, then you're going to have Jonas Salk publish newspaper articles against you, hating you. You're going to have your friends ridicule you. And it's going to escalate. The more good you do, the more hate you're going to get. That's the, that's the way it works. Why? Because the world's run by alien invaders. And the alien invaders do not want us to displace them. And when we act on faith that we are, in fact, resurrected power creatures and live the way the Bible tells us to live as resurrected power creatures, then we are actually pushing the darkness out and bringing in light. And these alien invaders are creatures of darkness, and they don't like it. They don't want anything to do with it. So we have all these commands. We have all these things that Jesus has told us to do specifically. When we do those things, we're being superheroes. Now, when we went through Revelation, we talked about be a faithful witness and don't fear death. That was the key thing over and over again. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same message said a different way. If you want to be a superhero, then you're a martyr. Martyreo, witness. A superhero is somebody that takes their power and fights evil. And you fight evil where it is. You fight evil where it is. And evil will come to you. You know, I, you know, I actually have to go looking for it. Although, you may be called to go look for it. So, some of us are called to do that. And when that happens and you engage that darkness, you're actually taking your resurrection power and putting it into action. The Spirit of God is now interacting with the world through us. But it won't feel like a Superman thing because there's no, you know, biff, pow, wham. You know, it's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. So what are some of those commands? What, what, what do you find as the hardest commands to do that are you know, superhero commands. What, what are the, what's the hardest one? How about love your enemies? Anybody have trouble with that one? And that's a tough one, isn't it? And it's hard to figure out what love to an enemy looks like. Telling them the truth can be it. Uh, but probably doing a victory dance over their dead bodies, not. You know, that's probably not it. But So it's not always easy to know exactly what it looks like. But, you know, turn the other cheek. That's not an easy one. What are some other ones that you, any, anybody in here struggle with? Living simply? How about be anxious for nothing and all things give thanks? Anybody have struggle with that? We got the perfectionists in here. We got another battle going on inside of us. One of the reasons I like Spider-Man so much is as he's combating these supervillains, he's always throwing jokes. And I just love that. You know, he's really funny and he's saving the world at the same time. You know, we've got this battle with evil externally but we have it going on inside of us as well because the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit and one of the main battles we have to win is to believe that we are the resurrected person more than we are the fallen person and the reality is we're only the resurrected person in our daily experience more than the fallen person the old man when we exercise faith that's how the new person comes to life So, not worrying, letting the cares of the day be enough, not trying to control things we can't control, serving others when we can't really see how that's ever going to benefit us, turning the other cheek, meaning I'm not going to take things personally, I'm just going to talk about the mission and how to serve the mission. Those are all commands that we're given, and when we actually do those things, we're living life as a superhero, because that's what ignites the superhero power. But there's this villain we have inside of us that's always trying to knock us off our game and get us back into 
worry and back into revenge and back into bitterness and back into you know, addiction or whatever your demons are that you live with as a, on your fallen side. But when we can believe, like Abraham did, like Sarah did, I have resurrection power in me. You know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer my life that I live, my old man life. It's this new life that I live. When we can believe that, then you know what we're doing? Exactly what Paul tells us to do in Romans. That's the whole point of Romans. Can we live a sinful life and still go to heaven? Yes. And guess what? We all will. Anybody in here got past the sin thing? Yeah. So that's what we do. In fact, uh, I think uh, Brandon talked about this. When we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then his blood covers our sins. Meaning, as we walk in the light, we are still sinning and don't even know it. We have sins we don't even know about. And God just says, don't worry about those. Deal with the ones you do know about. I'll take care of the rest. You know, I'll just bring up a little at a time. We've got this old man inside of us. And we're going to keep fighting that. Just like Spider-Man. But as we do that, then it flows out into other people. And we are bringing light into the world. So, what I want you to leave with is, you are Spider-Man. You are Wonder Woman. How many women, when I said you are Wonder Woman, that felt good? It has to feel good, doesn't it? Yeah, you are Wonder Woman. That's what you are. But you have to exercise faith to make it come to life and experience. So that's a great opportunity we have, isn't it? Go and be Clark Kent and Peter Parker. God, thank you for uh, this amazing power that you've given us, the resurrection power of Jesus, the power to overcome death. Don't think we get what a big deal this is. Pray you'll help us see it, help us feel it, help us live it, and help us be the kind of people that realize that when we do these small things that you've given us to do, we're pushing back the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.